So, uh, culture of honor. Um, I, I love that. Even before I walked in the room tonight, I was already sensing it, and it's cool to see you talking about it and living it out. And uh, I just feel uh, so encouraged by what I'm already sensing tonight. And I want to focus on a way that we can honor in the church, in the body of Christ, in a way that, um, boy, it seems to have escaped a lot of us who've been serving the Lord for a while. So maybe some of you in the room tonight are brand new to Jesus uh, this year. Uh, maybe some of you have been uh, serving the Lord for years now, and others of you, maybe you're, you're not quite sure where you're at with that. What I'm talking about in the next few moments is, unfortunately, a way that, that people who have been serving Jesus for many, many years um, have, have missed out on something, and I put myself in that category, uh, some clear instructions from Scripture that I frankly didn't know were there before, and the result of, of studying the New Testament, uh, all those writings that, that Jesus and the apostles uh, put there for us, identifies a way that we really need to be honoring each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, in a couple of key ways. And we're going to look, look at those tonight. One way is how do we honor each other when, as we heard a few moments ago, uh, you have conflict resolution. How do we honor each other when the problems that we have are, are caused by somebody who is somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Sometimes believers in Jesus don't always honor each other and honor God in the midst of those conflicts the way that it's pretty clear from the New Testament that we are to do. And another area is what about when we have conflicts with people who are not Christians? What about when we disagree and we get upset by the, the things that they espouse, the, the values that they hold, and they don't know Jesus Christ, and they're, they're picketing for something, or they're speaking out about something, and they're embracing some lifestyle. How do we handle that as believers in Jesus Christ? God gave us a way to honor Him, who is the Father and the Creator of every human being, and in the process, do what He wants, which is to create a platform for people who don't know Jesus Christ to find Jesus as attractive as he really is. In other words, how can we quit putting obstacles in the paths of people that God wants to, to come to know him? How can we honor God in that process? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, it's, it's in the context of a book that I brought tonight, and I'm going to explain how you can walk out of here tonight with this book for free, because I have um, four children and uh, three of them are in or have been through college. And uh, I understand from the text that I get from my daughter who's in college, apparently money is not uh, something that is an ample supply when you're a college student. So, so there's a way for you to get this for free tonight. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, a little story. Um, after I, I just say thanks to uh, the Ericsons, uh, to the Sidlers, uh, these folks, as you already know, are heroes. Uh, they're doing an amazing job, and yes, they're part of an army of leaders of 300 or more chapters around the country, but you have some very special leaders here at Wright State in the Dayton area, and we are big, big fans of what these folks have done, and I want to honor them tonight and let you express your appreciation to them for their leadership and their friendship to you. Would you put your hands together and say, awesome. And, and I, I do. I need to do this. Um, I, Andy and I have a, a friendly uh, back and forth sometimes about Michigan and Ohio State, right? And I know that no one here talks about that, but I do need to show some honor because this past week, uh, Michigan was in the national championship game. 
for the uh, for the NCAA uh, basketball tournament. Of course, didn't pull out the win with Villanova. But what was so cool about that is we have two teams in the national championship for basketball. I think that was so cool because neither one of them has a football team, but they're able to show up then in the national championship, and it's kind of special the way that worked out. So there was supposed to be some honor in there. I'm not sure if that came across the way I wanted to. All right, great. So uh, with Andy's help, um, I'm going to turn the, the attention to the slides tonight and, and talk about what do we do, uh, Adam, sorry, not Adam's help, what do we do with our voice? Well, in fact, if you don't mind, I'm going to stand over this way so I can see what you guys are looking at just a little bit. All right. What do we as children of God do with our voice? Because as you know, there's an endless uh, variety of platforms for everybody, including Christians, to be able to share their voice. Uh, just in social media alone, right? Uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Marco Polo, and I've lost track of all the, the ways that we have. And, and the good thing or bad thing, however you look at it, is a year from now and five years from now, there's going to be brand new words and brand new platforms and the coolest thing. So there is no end in sight for the ways that you and I can communicate. And that's just using our phones and our computers. Uh, all kinds of meaningful conversations happen one-on-one uh, -on -one in the classroom, uh, back in the dorm room, around the, uh, the family dinner table. We have found our voice. Christians have found their voice on TV. You see them on cable news. You see them uh, preaching sometimes. You see them sharing their stories. And again, many times it's good. Uh, but there is a conflict because if you're like me, sometimes you see what somebody's saying on their, on their uh, account or you see on TV and they claim to be a Christian. And I've done this. I sit in my recliner with my remote control and I see the person on TV claiming to be a Christian. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough issue that they're talking about. And the way they handled that question from the reporter or the way they spoke out on that particular issue, I'm like, yes. Oh, man, you, you nailed it, sister. You, you just explained exactly what the Bible says about that particular issue, and you did it with class and with dignity. And I say, yeah. But then sometimes I see someone else, and I don't know if, if I'm the only one who does this, but I'm like, oh, please be quiet. Please, please. Don't say, no, no, no. Oh, they said they're a Christian. Oh, no, 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 right? So, so you have people who are believers who, who believe in the same Jesus on their way to the same heaven, and yet they do not agree. And, and, and I want to talk about that tonight. Uh, you, sometimes you, you want to say, yeah, stand up and speak out. And then sometimes you want to say, shut up and sit down, please, right? <laughs> so what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to handle that? Um, a couple of years ago, uh, this book uh, was not a book. This was simply a, a message that the Lord had given to me. And after I shared it a number of times, the, the people who are on my board, I have a, a board, of elders, they said, you have got to put that in a book. So that's where this all started. Uh, never intended with preaching the message that it would be in this format. And yet ever since then, every single week now, there's just a latest chapter of Christians doing exactly this. People who have really good intentions, but the end result maybe was not what they wanted. And certainly according to scripture, it wasn't what God had in mind as we studied that. So I have a, a friend who uh, epitomizes this. Uh, she actually just passed away a few months ago. She was almost 80. She was a great-grandmother and uh, a, a great lady at the church. I knew her for decades when I was a kid. She was very helpful to me, helped me memorize a lot of scripture verses. But she was on Facebook, 
And I know it excites all of you to see your parents and your grandparents on Facebook. It's, every time you see them post something, it just gets you excited, right? You can hardly wait to see uh, what they've done. So she, uh, she was very kind on Facebook. By the way, my kids have no idea I'm talking to college students. <laughs> They'd be mortified. So I, I will, <laughs> haven't shared that with them yet. But Nellie was her name, and Nellie posted on Facebook almost every day. And she, would, she was very nice. Like when people lost loved ones, you know, funerals and all that, she would, oh, man, we're praying for you. So sorry. What a sweet mother you have. We're praying for you. We love you. Or when they, they were in the hospital, you know, she'd put on there, hey, let us know how you're doing. We're praying for you. And one day, after years of doing this, she posted recently, uh, it was about a year or so ago, and, and she said, oh my goodness, everybody, I'm so sorry, like everybody in the whole world, please forgive me, she said. My grandson just came to visit, and he shed some light on my Facebook page. Uh, he told me that I was saying something that I probably didn't mean. Um, so just in case I ever said to you, I'm praying for you in the hospital, I'm praying for you when you lost your loved one. Um, my grandson said that when I put LOL every time, that it didn't mean lots of love. Um, apparently it means laughing out loud. And I just want you to know, I've not been laughing at you, but she wanted to apologize. So, so we found our voice. Uh, sometimes the voice doesn't always hit the mark. So the status quo a couple years ago, before this was even a book, was what is going on with the, with the world and with, with the way Christians are responding. So uh, some of you were in college, some of you were in high school when the United States Supreme Court made a very landmark decision in the summer of 2015 and said that no matter what states had decided, now uh, a marriage between a man and a man or a marriage between a woman and a woman should now be recognized legally in all 50 states. So millions of people in this country celebrated that and applauded that and said, well, it's about time. And then there were millions, of course, who were upset. And that was just the latest of issues. And so nothing that I'm talking tonight about has anything to do with the particular issue. Uh, if you know the right way to think about every single issue, come up and ask me afterwards, and I'll tell you how to vote on every person. But that's not what this is about. This is about the fact that we are always, 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 especially in a country like ours, going to see things that either excite us or we agree with or things that upset us, and there will not be any end to this. And so how do we respond every time we see something that, that we realize there's going to be conflict and differences of opinion about? And so it was in that season, I, I didn't know the answer, but I knew two things. Here's another chapter, God, where it seems like Christians are disagreeing with other Christians, and they're being very vocal and very heated about it. And they're arguing with each other. And I don't know what the answer is, God, but I knew two things for sure. God, this cannot be your plan. It cannot be pleasing to you that people who say they love the same Jesus would be arguing with each other all the time. That can't be the best plan that God has for us. And the second thing I knew is God always has a way. God always has an answer. It may take a while, it may not come quickly, but I know the God that I serve and the God that I read about in the Bible always has direction. Boy, I could go on and on and on about all the different ways God has shown that to me in my life. So I knew those two things. So I began a study of Scripture, and over the next few months, um, I, I found a pattern that, that really gave me a lot of confidence. And so let me tell you that I have been serving the Lord for about 50 years. I don't remember a day in my life when I was not in a Christian home 
and not involved in church. And, and that may match some of your backgrounds, although nobody here is 50 years old, but you may identify with that at your point in life. And others of you may say, I don't know anything about that. You know, I, I am the first person in my family who's even acted like they're interested in Jesus, right? So I realize we have different backgrounds. But that was my background. And, and so what I knew from Scripture is what I saw tonight. Even though none of you here, as far as I know, were around 2,000 years ago when Jesus was alive on the planet. He's always alive, but he was walking on the planet. And when the apostles that we read about in Scripture, like Peter and James and John and Mary and, and all those saints that we read about in the New Testament, none of us was alive then, and yet you do some things 2,000 years later that make it seem like you're pretty confident that you understood what Jesus and the church leaders 2,000 years ago were trying to say. What do I mean by that? Well, you just worshiped tonight pretty enthusiastically. That was awesome. You guys have a great praise team here. And it's not just the talent, it's the heart. Why do you do that? Well, because 2,000 years ago, we read over and over in the New Testament that if you believe in Jesus, if you're a child of God, that worship and prayer should be a routine part of your existence. And because we read about that over and over in the New Testament, it's normal. Pray without ceasing, Paul said. And then we not only see many, many instructions and commandments about prayer, we also see the normal behavior. We see that they did pray. So they were practicing what they preached. And that was normal. And so 2,000 years later, even though some of us belong to certain denominations and other churches and all that, anybody who, who has a basic understanding of Scripture and who loves Jesus has a great deal of confidence. Yeah, we're supposed to pray. You know, have you met too many preachers who say, never pray, never pray, right? That's, that's not normal. What's normal for believers is we have confidence that we are to be people of worship and prayer, and we do that because Scripture tells us over and over again, and we see over and over again that's what they did. So we do it, and it builds our confidence because we know how powerful it is, and that's just one example. We have the same degree of confidence 2,000 years later about things like giving of our finances, right? We did that tonight. Why do we do that? Because the scripture teaches over and there's no debate. There's no debate. If you're a follower of Christ, you give of what he gives to you. It's just, it's what we see in scripture. The same thing is true about sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus and on and on and on. Now I say that because it seems like it's kind of obvious. And so we all pray and we all give and we all worship, but there's some things clearly that not every Christian agrees on that should be normal. One example is, is uh, handling poisonous snakes, right? Maybe you've never seen that. I never have. But there are actually people who say they believe in Jesus and they intentionally bring poisonous snakes into their church services and play with them. And every year without fail, and I, I cite a lot of this in the book, someone dies. Shocker, right? And so they get bit by those poisonous snakes and they die. And it happens every year, and people keep doing that. And that's a very small fraction of people. And why do they do that? And why don't we do that? Just in case you're new to this group, we don't do that. All right? So <laughs> let me put you at ease. We don't do that because there's no, there's zero instructions in Scripture that encourage us to pick up poisonous snakes on purpose. And there are zero stories in the New Testament where we see followers of Jesus say, where's the poisonous snake? Where can I find one? They didn't do that. What you do see is one or two verses that it happened by accident. You do see where Paul was bit by a poisonous snake as he was sharing the gospel. 
And so they prayed and he was healed. So yeah, if you happen to get bit by a snake, then uh, pray, pray, and, and believe that God will protect you. But there's no instruction. That's not normal. And yet people take this one verse. Another one that you will hear about from time to time, if you haven't already, is every, I don't know, 10, 20 years, crazy minister, preacher, uh, writes a book or says something about, I know exactly the date that Jesus Christ is going to return. How many of you have heard about that, right? Okay, and so there are no instructions in Scripture. In fact, it's the opposite. Scripture tells us not to do that, and yet some people do it. Being with you tonight, though, it does make me wonder. If Jesus doesn't return the week before finals, (laughs) I will have some questions in heaven, because I'm sure that prayer has been offered more than any other prayer throughout history, but don't get your hopes up. All right. (laughs) So in the book, we talk about this pivot. The book is called Messaging, why audience matters. And that's because there's a pattern in the New Testament that I'm going to unpack in the next few minutes that really a lot of people that you know who've been serving the Lord for a long time, they've never seen it. They've never studied it. No one's ever, in fact, the opposite. If I go back to the previous slide, what they think is, yeah, you should stand up and speak out. Or they think because of their their experiences, no, you should shut up and sit down. There's actually a mountain of evidence with no exceptions in the New Testament about how you and I handle the message that we communicate and it's based on who is in our audience. And so there's a pivot that you will see if you study the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation, those 27 books that end the Bible, there's a pattern that is unmistakable that Jesus and the believers and the apostles and the leaders followed And when there were people in their audience who knew Jesus, they had one message, and it was consistent, and it was love, spoiler alert. But when there were non-believers in in their audience, they did a pivot. And there's some things they never once talked about when there were non-believers in their audience, things that they talked about when they were with believers all the time. And we're going to unpack that a little bit tonight. Your audience determines your message, all right? That's the focus of of honoring God and honoring the people that cross our paths. First of all, uh, we heard it earlier, conflict resolution, uh, problem solving. It is New Testament normal. It is normal. Uh, This is just the book of Acts alone. One of those 27 books in the New Testament has a whole lot of history in it. And Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, This book, um, I'm sorry, Confrontation Among Believers, I'm flipping my screen up here thinking that's flipping up there. Uh, Confrontation among believers. Thank you, Adam. In the book of Acts, there are five stories of conflict resolution among Christians, people who loved Jesus. And here they are. I won't read them all, but Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6, etc. These are all stories that you can read in the book of Acts where believers did not agree and they had to be confronted. Sometimes they had to be rebuked or they had to be corrected. So what we learn about that is that it's normal for people who love Jesus to have moments when they don't see eye to eye. So if that relieves some of you because you have disagreed with some Christians before, you're in good company, including the leaders of the church. That that happened a lot. My favorite here is number five, Priscilla and her husband Aquila. They were leaders in the church, and this is recorded in Acts chapter 18. And they were seasoned. They were experienced uh, leaders in the church, and they saw a young preacher named Apollos, 
And you read about this in Acts 18, and, and they loved his preaching, and he was very good at preaching, but they could detect something like, uh, like you detected earlier tonight. We, we were talking about, in our prayer, being used in the Holy Spirit and, and using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They could tell when they heard Apollos preaching, this guy's never heard about the Holy Spirit. And so they approached him, and Matthew, uh, Acts 18 says that they approached him privately. They, they didn't single him out. They didn't get open up their Facebook account and say, have nothing to do with Apollos, he's a heretic, boycott his crusades. They went to him privately. The New International Version says they invited him into their home. They had a private conversation, and they said, Apollos, have you ever heard about the Holy Spirit? And, and he hadn't. And they confronted him privately. We, this was a phenomenon because we see about it in the next chapter. The Apostle Paul had the exact same conversation with leaders of the church in the city of Ephesus. They also, they said, we've never even heard about the Holy Spirit. All we've ever heard about is the baptism in water, John the Baptist. And, and so Paul said, well, we've got to fix this, right? And that's what Aquila and Priscilla did. And we know that it worked because years later, in another book in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that was in a city called Corinth, and he had to correct them in his letter because Apollos had become such a phenomenal preacher and so successful that many people in that church were now starting to say, we follow Apollos, and others were saying, no, we follow the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul was saying, don't do that, it's Jesus. You know, I, I plant, and Apollos, he waters, but God is the one who gives the increase. So there's lots of stories about how you and I honor each other when we're having um, disagreements in the New Testament. But here in the next slide are the consistent things that we see. Confrontation among believers, it should be expected. All right, You and I should expect it. It shouldn't, it shouldn't rock us uh, and, and shake us to our core just because believers don't see eye to eye. We should expect that. Secondly, when we handle it, we do it what, what we read about in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is the golden verse for how we handle conflict. Jesus said, if another brother or sister offends you, if they say something, if they do something and it offends you, what does Jesus say? Immediately go to Twitter and make sure the whole world knows. No, that's not what he said. And yet how many times do we do that now, right? Jesus said, go to them directly. Don't, don't tell Andy and Heather. Go directly to them. And, and here's the reason why you've found this like I have. Most of the time there's a disagreement between me and someone else who's a believer. Usually it's not really a disagreement. It's usually a misunderstanding. I thought they said it, but they really didn't say it. Or they, they did that because someone else told them and they found out that wasn't true. And oh, it was a misunderstanding. So how, how smart it is when we go to that person directly because if I get upset with what you say, and then I go to Andy instead of going back to you, Andy, can you believe what Aaron said about me? No, no one has ever said that about me. And then, and then Andy says, I know, John, I can't believe it. And then I'm like, yeah, it feels good. Could you scratch right here? Thank you. And we like to be consoled when other people said, call us out. We don't like that. And so we run to our friends, our buddies. We run to people who we know are going to encourage us and say what we want to hear them say. Because maybe that person's actually right. And that, that doesn't feel so good that we got caught out for doing what we actually did. But here's the problem. Once I go to Andy, and then, I, then later on I, I come to my senses, oh, I should I sh go back to Aaron and just talk to her about this. When Aaron finds out that I told Andy, 
She's like, you told Andy? Of all the people in the whole room, you could have told, you told Andy? Oh my goodness. And so now the issue is no longer this issue. The issue is that I've gone and spread it to other people. And so that's why Jesus pleads with us. When you have an issue with somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, go back to them first. And then there's other instructions in, in Matthew 18. It's such a why You probably have had teaching on that. If not, read that. Because he says, then if it doesn't work, go back again, but this time bring somebody with you. And if it doesn't work, bring some more people with you. Because it's important that if a brother or sister is, is causing sin, they need to be addressed. But do it the right way. Do it directly and discreetly. Uh, number three, what we see in the book of Acts, all those stories I told you, confrontation is very effective. Very effective when we do it that way. Uh, number four, no, belie- no non-believers allowed. All those stories that I mentioned a few moments ago, there's not one in the book of Acts. And there's not one anywhere in the New Testament. This is shocking. This is revelatory to some people. They didn't know this. I did not know this. There are no examples. There are no instructions in the New Testament about believers confronting, rebuking one another and having non-believers in the audience. They just didn't do it. So thank God there are no non-believers on Facebook. (laughs) What a relief, right? Uh, So that's why I need to apologize on behalf of my generation. We have been modeling for younger Christians. Here's how you express yourself when you're angry at another believer. You go on Facebook, you go on cable news, you write the newspaper, you you chastise them publicly. There's no support for that in the Bible. That is not normal for believers to do that. It's the Jesus way to do it discreetly and directly. And number five, I love this. I put an asterisk there, by the way. There are some cases, clearly. Uh, Jesus is not saying that a, a child who's been offended by an adult shouldn't go tell the authorities, right? If a law has been broken, if it, I mean, there's, some, there's clearly some exceptions. We're talking about when a brother or sister says or does something that's offensive and sinful, but if it, if it goes into the realm of being illegal, that's a whole different topic. Right? I hope you understand that, but it's important that I say that. Number five, all of those stories that you read about in the book of Acts They were engines for evangelism. I love this. When believers handled their disputes and disagreements the Matthew 18 way, there is not one example in the New Testament where it didn't result in more evangelism. The church grew. How exciting is that? I almost, uh, I laugh with our pastors and say, hey, if your church isn't growing, then cause a church split. Do something. Uh, Because the New Testament pattern is when we resolve our conflicts the Jesus way, more and more people, the the church gets stronger instead of becoming weak. A lot of people don't know that. All right, the next one is the love pivot. Now I want to talk about for a second, what do we do when non-believers are in our audience? Some things we can control, but there are, of course, everyday opportunities, and Jesus wants us to get out there and rub shoulders with the world. And so here's what we, what we see in the New Testament. We love on full display. We, we let non-believers know how much we love each other. We, we make non-believers sick at, at how loving Christians are because Jesus said this, this is how the world is going to know that we're his disciples, by how we love one another. We love them too, but we put a priority on loving brothers and sisters because that's what gets the evangelism going. When non-believers see believers taking care of one another, loving one another, then that sends them a message. They're like, I haven't seen this anywhere else. I need to get some of this. They've got what I want, what I don't have. But, but when we do the opposite and put our conflicts and disputes on full display, 
that non-believers have every reason to say, well, why would I want more of that? I've already got plenty of that in my life. We need to show them something they do not have, and that is loving one another. It, it's kind of like the oxygen mask uh, illustrations. Uh, some of you have flown before. Some have you, have you flown many times. You have this speech memorized. The flight attendants will say as you're preparing to take off, uh, you know, put your seatbelts on, um, keep control of your emotional pet uh, companion, uh, all those kind of things, right? And then also, um, if, if the oxygen level in the plane changes, what will happen? The masks will drop down. They say something then that is counterintuitive. It's not what you would expect to do or, or to hear. But if you're riding next to a small child, and this happens, do not put the mask on the child first. How hateful. What a horrible thing for those flight attendants and the airlines to say. Actually, it's, it's quite the loving thing to do. Don't take care of the child. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Take care of yourself because you're the adult in the situation. Because if the plane descends quickly, you could lose consciousness pretty quickly, depending on how uh, quick the descent was. So make sure you get the oxygen flowing to yourself first. And then even if that child goes unconscious, because you're conscious... You can then attach the mask to them and they will be just fine. But if you try the opposite, if your focus is on helping everybody else around you, these little ones, then catastrophe could occur. You might not be able to help them, and even if you did, they couldn't return the favor if you're unconscious and they're just a two-year-old. So, so that's why Jesus and Paul indicate that we should love each other. We, we do this not to avoid the world, but we make sure the church is as strong as it can be because the stronger the church is, then the more we're able to help the world. We put our love on full display. Um, and so, so when we're loving uh, believers in front of the world, we do one thing, and then we have a pivot when it comes to disagreements with the world. And here's, I've got so much I could explain tonight, but uh, I want to end with this. Uh, there are many questions. As I said a few moments ago, this took months and months. Uh, by the time I wrote it, actually more than a year, and it, it didn't just settle with me instantly. This was a, a different way of looking at things that I had looked at my whole life. And so tonight, if, if this is somewhat shocking to you, I've spoken on this many times, and every, every night there's people who have questions, what about this, and what about that, and are we supposed to be quiet about this? There are so many exceptions and, and uh, illustrations that are in the book uh, that will help answer all of those. I, I just don't have time to do that tonight. But if you have some questions, I think there's a good chance that you'll see it covered here, and I'd be happy. I'll stay around tonight as late as anybody wants to, uh, to talk about whatever questions there are, but I want to keep keep going. So I want to, I want to finish with this uh, correction pivot, because this is also very important. Um, every book in the New Testament uh, cites immorality. I said a few moments ago, how many books there are? How, how many books are there in the New Testament? 27. All 27 of them make at least one, if not many more references to immorality of some sort. Okay? But here's the deal. <clears throat> every single New Testament book is addressed to saints. Uh, you, can, you can read it for yourself. In the first few verses of most of the books, it tells who the audience is. Uh, and then you can read some commentaries and, and read more. Uh, Timothy was a Christian, right? The Ephesus, Ephesians, they were church in Ephesus. So all of the warnings, get this, 100% of the warnings about immorality in the New Testament were given to believers.
So, so the book of Corinthians was not written to the pagans in Corinth. It was written to the Christians in Corinth. Every New Testament book was written to Christians. So when I say immorality, there's just a long list. And, and every New Testament book mentions it. And I, I assume that there are some immoral things that weren't even covered in the New Testament, like, like uh, pressuring somebody on Facebook to join your cause. I mean, that is so immoral, all right? But it wasn't mentioned in the New Testament. Just kidding. Uh, culture of honor. All right. So, drunkenness, abuse, gossip, heterosexual misbehavior, homosexuality, lying, slander, judging. All of the warnings about immorality in the New Testament were directed at people who already had the blood of Jesus Christ pumping inside their veins. That's really important to consider and to chew on. Every warning about immorality was directed at people who already were believers in Jesus. Here's the scorecard from the book of Acts alone. There are, uh, in the next slide, 35, more than 35 examples in the book of Acts where we are told and explained to that here's an example of a Christian talking to somebody who's not a Christian. There's more than 35 of those cases in the book of Acts. And of those 35 plus, there are zero references to warnings about sex and drugs and rock and roll and voting for Democrats or voting for Republicans or whatever the case might be, right? Zero. Goose egg. Well, that's because it was 2,000 years ago. And yes, they did. They had murder and drunkenness and slavery and abortion. It was even worse than abortion. They had infanticide. They were not only killing babies inside the womb, they allowed babies who, who lived to be abandoned, and it wasn't illegal. Babies were just abandoned to starve to death or be, be killed by animals. So there's a long list of things, and these are places where Jesus and the disciples went. So they had all kinds of issues. They could have stood up and said, stop doing that and stop doing that, stop doing that. But in all those examples in the New Testament, when non-believers were in the audience, they focused exclusively on the gospel. Exclusively on the gospel. So does that mean we don't talk about those issues? Absolutely not. What it means is, when we're with non-believers, and there's a quote here, maybe I'll just end with that. Oh, there's so much I want to say. But um, Jesus, in the next verse, for example, gives us uh, the, the phrase, I will make you fishers of men, right? Here's how he's trying to say this. Might be some people here, uh, men or women, who are good anglers. You know how to fish. Well, I don't, but I do know this. Every person who knows how to fish knows how to do at least three things. You have to get near the fish. You have to approach them. You can't fish from a long distance. You have to get near them. Secondly, and, and so there's spiritual revelation here in correlation. Like if we're trying to fish men and women for Jesus, we have to get on their level, right? Secondly, we need to capture them. We need to, we need to somehow get the hook or the spear or the club or the net. Somehow we've got to get that fish uh, to make the commitment, right? And then thirdly, we clean them, right? I, I like clean fish. I appreciate fish that have been cleaned, right? Have you ever tried to do those out of order? You ever trying to clean a fish you haven't caught? Well, even once? In the entire history of mankind, not one fish has ever been cleaned. 
before it was caught. So why, Jesus, have I, have I become so accustomed to trying to get people who don't know Jesus to behave like they do? That is the definition of futility and frustration. It will never work. And it will be so frustrating. So frustrating to try to get people who don't have the, the, the heart of Jesus pumping inside of them to think the way that... And you know that in your, own, in your own case. You see things totally different now, but before you had God's Word inside you, before the Holy Spirit took up residence, you didn't see things the way that you do. And yet... The Western world especially is full of Christians who seem, who seem charged up as though it's their duty to use. And again, this is, this is different. I'm going to come back to that in a second. This is different than being a citizen of the country. We're talking about being citizens of heaven, right? We seem so, so red in the face trying to get people who don't have Jesus inside them to quit doing that and quit doing that and start doing this and start doing that. And there's no teaching in the New Testament. There's no examples to draw on that would lead us to conclude that that's what Jesus wants us to do. That's not how he intended us to honor him and to honor the people that he wants to draw into the kingdom. You see, you and I are citizens, I'm sure most of us are, there might be a few exceptions because we're international students, we're citizens of the United States, and that means some things. But we're not citizens of other countries. So because you and I didn't grow up in China, for example, we didn't grow up in Venezuela or some other countries right now where it's really hard to live out your faith, we all have the same Bible, but we have to be citizens of our own country. So in this country, wow, we've got so much freedom. And, and Christians who, who are in bondage in other places where they don't have the freedom would look at us and say, you better vote for Christians. You better uh, stand up and speak out on issues. And you have the freedom to do that. We wish we could do that in our country, but we can't. But that's our earthly citizenry. And so, yes, I have my uh, issues that I'm involved in. I, I vote certain ways. I donate money to causes, all that kind of stuff. But I don't do it in the name of Jesus publicly. I don't say to these non-believers, to this group, you need to quit doing that because God doesn't like that. You need to quit doing that because the church is not for that. What I do, there's nothing that Jesus, there's nothing that Jesus is for that isn't good for us anyways. Right, And so every issue, whether it's crime or education, if it really is a Jesus issue, it just makes sense anyways. Like, for example, smoking cigarettes, it is, it is entirely a slam dunk. There is nobody, there are many people who smoke, but nobody is saying smoking cigarettes is good for you. And so the landscape today, oh, we've got tons of issues, obviously opioids and everything else, but smoking cigarettes is not nearly the issue today as it was 30 years ago, but that's not because Jesus people stood up and said, quit smoking cigarettes in the name of Jesus, the church hates you, that kind of stuff. We, we have won this battle largely, it's not completely done, because we used some good science, we used some, some good uh, tactics, and, and we got lots of people together. And so there are ways to advance our causes in this country that would be different than the way you would advance it if you were in Tanzania or in Egypt, right? So that's a whole different conversation. This is not, not about we shouldn't get involved and we shouldn't use our freedom to speak our minds. But there's a difference if we want to be New Testament people between how we address it as citizens and then how we address the, the key issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so when a church puts on a sign out front that they're in favor of this issue, they may have a whole group of people who say, Amen, we agree. But what they've just done is they've sent a message to people who don't understand that they're not welcome at this church. And so they've preempted what God intended to be most important, and that is get people to love me. Once they love me, then I'll take care of the rest. And so I'll conclude with this uh, story. Uh, Andy and Heather and Jay and some others are aware of a recent trip that a lot of us here in Ohio took to Tanzania. I write about it in the book uh, because I heard about it several years ago. Uh, Let me just pick on one issue. Uh, Here in the States, uh, homosexuality is an issue that gets people talking. Um, In Africa, in many nations, homosexuality is not even an issue. It's, It's illegal in many nations. It has nothing to do with religion. It's just that's how they feel. But polygamy, having more than one wife, is an issue. It's very interesting. If you look at this continent, North America, homosexuality is legal in all three countries of North America. And the church would say that homosexuality uh, is an issue in all three countries. All right? Over in Africa on that continent, uh, polygamy is an issue. Not so much here in America, right? Um, there are, I'm sure there are cases, but men being married to many women is not legal in this continent, but it's legal in many parts of Africa. And the church in Africa would say that polygamy is an issue they have to deal with over there. They need to address. So I write the story in chapter 7 about how the church in Tanzania, which is exploding. It's so exciting to see the millions of people who are coming to know Jesus. It's amazing. They had an issue, uh, they had a story of a man who had four wives. This is kind of tricky. This is real. This is very real, even though it seems foreign to us. Uh, The man had four wives, and he was very sick. And so he was not a Christian. He didn't know Jesus, but he was desperate because he was going to die. So he did what everybody in Africa would, would know to do by their ancestry. He first went to a witch doctor, because tribalism is still very strong in many parts of Africa. And the witch doctor was not able to provide healing for him. And there are a growing number of Muslims in Africa. And so he went to the Muslim cleric and was not able to get his healing. There's a growing number of um, Hindu people in, uh, in Africa. And so he went to a Hindu priest and there was no healing to be found. And finally, in desperation, he went to a Jesus crusade. And at that Jesus crusade, he found out about the Savior of the world. He gave his heart to Jesus and he was healed. His body was healed. So he and all four of his wives were so happy, they all got to know Jesus, they all became Christians, and they all started going to church. So isn't that great, Pastor? Uh, We want us, all five of us, and our kids want to start coming to your church. Can we be greeters? Uh, Can we be on the praise team? Right? All of our wives, we love Jesus, right? So that's a tricky issue to have to handle as a pastor. And what happened is uh, this man and his wives all started reading the scripture because that's what new believers are instructed to do. And as they began to read the scriptures, they came to this conclusion. Oh my goodness. Did you see what it says here in the scripture? We're not supposed to be, I'm only supposed to be married to one of you. And they all agreed. Having the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world. So often in this, in this country, we're, we're trying to do the Holy Spirit's work for the Holy Spirit, and it's the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. And so I hope that the message in this book will be for other people what it was for me, and that's relief. I don't have to be fighting that battle. I don't have to be waging that war. 
I don't have to be shouldering that burden. It was never intended for me to bear. What God has asked me to do is to bring them to Jesus and to help them understand his word. And once the Holy Spirit and the word of God is, is pumping through their veins, then he begins to do many times so effortlessly what, what I try to do so futilely with no success. Trying to get people to change their behavior when they haven't yet met Jesus. And so the, the, the husband and all four wives agreed. And, and they said, yeah, we, this is what God's word said. And he healed us. We, we don't want you to get sick again. So yeah, let's go to the pastor and let's ask. And so they went to the pastor and said, what do we do? And so this is a true story. Uh, they got separated. The, the, the guy remained uh, married to the first wife. And, and they realized that was honoring uh, in, in the context of scripture. But they got separated from the other wives. However, he had kids with all these women. And so he set up finance accounts. They all still go to church, uh, but he's only married to the one woman, and these other women are free now to, to live their lives and to get married to, to their believers because this, this arrangement was never sanctioned by God to begin with. So easy to say now, but years before they had met Jesus, they would have not understood. And that's just one example. The church in Tanzania and many places around the world, missionaries especially tell us this, they focus on Jesus, on the gospel, uh, there's so many things in every culture that would be offensive to us. But that's not, that's not the main thing. The main thing, and here's what the Holy Spirit says. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And what is that sin? Jesus defines it. The sin is they do not believe in me. That is the sin that the Holy Spirit's focused on when it comes to people who don't know Jesus. We need to get Jesus inside them. They need to surrender their lives. They do need to repent. But it's not about about drunkenness. It's not about drug abuse. It's not about profanity because we could get them to quit swearing, but if they don't bow their knees to Jesus Christ, then that's going to that's gonna prevent them from going to heaven. Anger is probably still an issue for them. Bitterness is still an issue. So this is not about us cherry-picking the issues and getting people to quit doing that. The issue is let's get Jesus inside them and watch how he takes care of of everything. God, you're so good to us, and we thank you tonight. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. Every single one of us has a story to tell. Every one of us right now, Lord, is, is like a book. We're being written. That's exactly what your word says, that we are epistles. We are letters. That's what the word says, is that, that each and every one of us, we are a letter that you're writing to someone else. So thank you, Lord God, for writing on our hearts tonight. Uh, I heard this earlier from one of the students. Uh, you're adding things to our story, even tonight. And, and you're also taking away some things that we used to believe it was true about us, but you're erasing that because it was never true. We just fell for a lie. So thank you for how you're shaping our hearts and lives tonight and making us uh, your love letter to our, our friends here on campus. We are, we are your love letter to our, our family and to relatives and to people that we work with. You're our love letter to some of our instructors and professors uh, who sometimes are, 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 are people who are really walking through their own challenges as well. Help us tonight to hear what you're saying to us and to live this out. Uh, in, in the coming weeks, Lord, with everything going on with finals and plans and preparations, God, thank you for sending your abiding peace. Your word says that the peace you give us is the kind of peace that makes no sense to the world. The way that, that we can approach our, our classes, our exams, our big decisions in life, the way we can handle a heartache and loss, uh, because we have peace that doesn't make sense to the world, and yet that's another way that you're using us 
to show them how much you love us and how much you love them. So God, thank you for helping us to take to heart tonight the scriptures, the fellowship that we've enjoyed, the way your spirit has moved among us. We pray, God, that you would use us for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the lives in this room that right now are already being used. And Lord, as you continue to prepare us for, for things in the future, you're just with us now. You're with us uh, this summer. You're with us for the rest of our life. And we thank you. It's an honor. It is an honor for us to be able to be called the children of God. And so help us to understand what that really means as we live out our faith for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.